This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. As a believer, we're pedaling a bicycle uphill. This work of sanctification. Now, we're justified. We're already there in Christ. But this work of sanctification, this work of obedience, this work of holiness and righteousness in our lives, It is an upward battle as long as you and I are in the flesh. And the minute we stop pedaling, we start going backwards. We've got to keep progressing forward in that work. Otherwise, it's you know one step forward, two steps back. As Pastor David begins a new chapter in Romans, he will be teaching us all about sanctification. Sanctification means set apart unto God. We are to be progressing unto perfection, the work that began when we first received Jesus. Pastor David warns us that we ought to be growing more holy and more attracted to the work of God in our lives. If we're not less attracted to the world and to its lusts, then we're backslidden. We must remain diligent and not grow slothful in our holiness. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 1 with part one of our message entitled, The Position of Sanctification. We're in Romans chapter 6. We're beginning to to really dig into this vein of a precious gold mine, and the vein that we're looking at this morning is the effect of our redemption, and that's what this word sanctification is all about. This word sanctification, we have uh, given a definition a few times of being separate or set apart, but a better definition is the carrying on to perfection the work begun in regeneration, or you might say it's the maturing of the believer, the deepening of our obedience and practical righteousness within our lives. And if you are in Christ, beloved, you are sanctified, and you are being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. You see, it's a position, it's a process, and it's a final ultimate goal in each one of our lives, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Well, there's another great word, justification, and we looked at that as we went through chapter 5. Great definition for justification is just as if I'd never sinned. But a clearer one is that by which God pardons all the sin of those who believe in Christ. Pardoning all of our sin. Making declaration that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect to the one who is justified. That in Christ, if you've come to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the work that he did on the cross brings about a cleansing work because of the blood of Christ in your life, that all the sin in your life has been pardoned by God. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left that stain. Jesus washed it white as snow. The fact that all the claims of the law that are against you have been justified in Christ because Christ took the payment for your sin. And if you're here this morning... And you don't know that cleansing work of God because you've never come by faith to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you this morning, even as we're teaching this passage, even as you're looking and listening to the Word of God, that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to move and touch in your heart, that you would cry out to God, say, Lord, 
Cleanse me from my sin. I know that I cannot do this myself. I come by faith to receive that completed work of Christ. Well, these two great words, justification and sanctification, they are different, but they work side by side together. A Bible teacher that I've always enjoyed is J. Vernon McGee. He's, uh, he's, he's gone, he's with the Lord right now and uh, probably enjoying eternity, I know, forever in his presence. Well, he had a radio program through the Bible, and he's an old Texas boy, and it's probably where I got that term of just saying uh, uh, beloved or beloved, because that was a phrase that he would always use, now my beloved. And he would go on to speak about what the Word would say to us, because that's who you and I are in Christ. J. Vernon McGee has a great uh, kind of definition or comparison of these two words, justification and sanctification. And he speaks of how justification is an act, something that has taken place already. It is an act, not, not a theatrical act, no. This is a, something that's already taken place. But sanctification is a work it's not just a one-time thing. No, it is a work. For justification, it comes in a moment. When you come by faith to bow your heart in life before Jesus Christ, claim Him as your Lord and Savior, ask God to take away your sin, believe Him that at that very moment, justification is done in your life. Your sin is washed away. And as the Bible said, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Your sin, as the Bible says, is cast behind the back of God. Your sin, as the Bible says, God remembers no more. That's what justification is. And that happens the very moment you and I bow our hearts before God and receive Christ in our life. But sanctification is a process. It begins with that justification, but it's a process that goes through our life, all of our lives. The final work of sanctification is when we shed this tent, this carcass that every one of us are hauling around our entire lives, get rid of that and we stand before him. Then that final work of sanctification is done. But love, you are in a process even right now of sanctification if you are in Christ. Justification is a means. It is the way that God brought you to himself by, again, bringing Christ to sacrifice for our sin and then us coming and receiving that sacrifice. We are justified, and that is the means that God used to bring us to himself. But sanctification is the end. That setting apart, that laying apart of the, the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the attractions of the world, the whisperings of the enemy in our lives, to where, man, I am only completely and wholly for the Lord in every aspect, in every way. It's the ends that God works in us. But much more than that, justification is for us. It's something that was done on the outside. It's something that Christ did on the outside for us. But sanctification is something that God works in us. Again, changing that inner man, putting off the old self, grabbing hold, grabbing hold of, that's a good Texas word, grabbing hold of the new and moving forward in him. That's the work that God does within us. Justification declares us as righteous, declares the sinner as righteous. 
we look and we see, yes, that in Christ I am righteous. In Christ, if you are today in Christ, then you are righteous. Sometimes I know, probably for you as well as for me, I don't feel righteous. The attitudes of my heart, the actions of my flesh, the direction of my mind, I think, man, that's not a righteous thought. How can I really be righteous? Because it's not up to me. It is the work of God in me that declares me as righteous. And when I come to Christ, I stand in Him complete, completely washed of all my sin. But sanctification is that that makes the sinner righteous. It's an ongoing work of obedience and drawing and growing in holiness and righteousness in your life. You as a believer ought to be growing in holiness and righteousness in your life. You ought to have less and less the attraction of the world and more and more the attraction of the things of God and the work of God in your life. And that's the progress of a believer. And beloved, if there's not that progress that's going on in you, then I can guarantee you this, you're slipping, you're going backwards. You see, in our Christian life, there is no such thing as coasting. You and I cannot coast in our lives as believers. Let me reaffirm that. You and I cannot coast in our lives as believers. You can't say, well, I'm going to take kind of a holiday for a while. I'm going to take a little vacation. I'm not going to be as involved in, in, in reading of the Word and in prayer and obedience. No, you're not, going to, you're not going to stay the same. You will fall back. You will degress in your work, in, in, in that process of sanctification. You'll degress in your obedience to the Lord. It's like, as a believer, we're pedaling a bicycle uphill this work of sanctification. Now, we're justified. We're already there in Christ. But this work of sanctification, this work of obedience, this work of holiness and righteousness in our lives, it is an upward battle as long as you and I are in the flesh. And the minute we stop pedaling, we start going backwards. We've got to keep progressing forward in that work. Otherwise, it's you know one step forward, two steps back in our lives. And I know that for many believers... That's the testimony of their lives. Oh, I, I love the Lord, but my life hasn't really changed that much since I've come to the Lord. I'm still struggling in these areas and these areas. Well, beloved, what kind of a progress are you making in the righteousness of God working in you? Justification removes the penalty of sin in our lives. When we are justified, the penalty of sin is removed because Jesus took that penalty upon himself. The word says that he took our sins upon himself and bore our sin and paid that payment so that you and I did not have to. Justification removes the penalty, but sanctification removes the power of sin. You see, as we continue to, to walk in obedience to the Lord, we're going to see strength and power in our lives over the things of the flesh, over the dis distractions and attractions of the world, and over the whisperings of the enemy that comes into our lives. The more you and I walk in obedience, the stronger we become as believers. If you're saying, I'm not very strong as a believer, then my first question is, is are you obedient even in the small things. Because, beloved, if you're not obedient in the small things, you'll never be able to 
gain strength and grow to live a life that's victorious, a live a life that's full of the Holy Spirit of God, a live a life that's separated, that is sanctified, that work going on in our lives. Chapter 6 for us deals with two aspects of this sanctification. It deals with the positional, the fact that, yes, we are sanctified. We are set apart. It's that work of God that is complete and done in our lives. We know that. But it also deals, in the second part of it, it deals with the practical aspect. And verses 15 through 23 deal with the practical, the ongoing work. But before we get to that, we need to actually pick up in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. If you remember last week, I stopped in verse 19 as we went through chapter 5, and I told you that I felt that verses 20 and 21 kind of fit better, at least for me, in in the process of teaching chapter 6. So if we look at chapter 5 of Romans, beginning in verse 20, we read these words. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying there is that before the law, sin was here. Sin was evident. Maybe it wasn't blaring, but when the law came in, when we received the law, suddenly the light of the law Sin abounded. Suddenly you could see how far we were from God because the light of the law, which which declared God's righteousness, was right there. And then we saw how far we were from that. Oh, I'm not just sinning in a little area or in this area. Man, I am just a sinner. I'm just filled with sin because there's no way that I could ever reach the process of God's holiness. But then he says, and he gives that great word. He says, but where... Sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace abounded over sin, grace covering our sin. So we stand now under grace, and that's what brings us to chapter 6. And we read these words in the first couple of verses. Paul gives this question, well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Well, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? question there is, he says that it's, it's, it's that rhetorical question, and of course the answer is no. He asks that question, well, since, since grace is so abundant and so such a blessing, should we just keep on sinning that we, in other words, uh, that we might enjoy grace even more? Shall we allow sin still to be in our life that we might experience the grace of God more? And in essence, he says, that's a stupid question. The answer is so obvious. In the New Living Translation, they translate that verse, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? How ridiculous that would be. It's kind of like that guy who keeps pounding his head against the wall. He's pounding and pounding and pounding. Somebody comes up and says, well, why are you pounding your head against the wall? And he says, because it feels so good when I stop. And then he begins pounding his head again and again and again. And he says, why don't you just stop? And in the same way, that's humorous. How ridiculous that truth is for someone to say, well, you know, I can continue to sin because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. 
I can continue to sin that grace might abound in me. Now, beloved, that's not why the Lord gave us grace. That's not why the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's not why God called us to him. He calls us to him that we might fellowship with him, that we might have that intimate relationship with Almighty God, our Creator. That grace then allows us to be able to enter into his presence. But if we continue in our sin then the fellowship of that presence is broken. It's hindered. There's roadblocks. Oh yeah, you're justified. You're cleansed from sin. But if I'm walking in disobedience because of my sin, then the sweetness of the fellowship, the intimacy of relationship that God has planned and determined in my life is not going to be what it needs to be and what it can be. You feel that your life is separated from the sweetness of the power and the presence of God in your life? question to you would be, is, is there still abiding and continuing sin? Are you still listening to the flesh, listening to the world, listening to the whispers of the devil in your life, rather than walking in obedience to Christ? Yes, even in the small things. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 10 continue on. He says, Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in that newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died in Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all that the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul begins speaking this whole idea, and he brings in the illustration of baptism. And if you've been here when we've done a baptism, and you know what our baptistry looks like, it's that big box behind us over here. It's a portable box that we roll over here, and we set it up, and we're able to do the baptisms right here. And many people have made that comment, and I love it, that it looks like a big coffin And absolutely, that's exactly, that's exactly it, because that's what it demonstrates. That's what it declares to us, that it is dying to self in order that I might rise in that newness of life, to rise and walk in obedience to Christ. The baptismal waters don't do that. The baptismal waters are a symbol of what God is doing in your life already. It's just like when we come and share at the Lord's table and we have communion together. We receive of the bread, we receive the cup. That bread does not become the body of Christ, but it symbolizes the body of Christ to us. That cup does not become the blood of Christ, but it symbolizes the blood of Christ to us. But as we partake of it, that bread and that cup, beloved, I know that there is a special work of God that works and moves in our lives because of that. Because it's not just simply bread and juice. It is the very work of God moving and working as we walk in obedience to it. 
If there was nothing special about it, God would not have been so adamant to the point that, man, we need to be doing this on a regular basis. And in the same way, when we come and we baptize believers, there's no regenerational power. There's no saving power in that water. But beloved, when we come and we are baptized, it is that declaration that, you know what? I died to my old self. I died to my old self. I want Christ to live through me. I want my hands to be the hands of Christ. I want my feet to be the feet of Christ. I want my mouth to be the spokesman of Christ in my life. I don't want David back again. I want Christ living in me. I want to be able to proclaim like Galatians 2.20. I am crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not me that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's the kind of life that you and I need to be living. That's what baptism symbolizes, and that's what Paul is speaking to them here. He says, we've been united together in the likeness of his death, verse 5 tells us. Then certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. When the word says, man, we rise up in that newness of life, that we in our lives as believers ought to be changed, ought to be different, there ought to be the very likeness of Christ living and walking in us. That when the world looks at us, they see the dynamic of the change that God is working and doing. Well, he goes on in this, verse 11. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That very word again, that reckon, and I shared with you, reckon isn't the way that I grew up reckon. Well, I reckon we'll get up, and uh, I reckon we'll go to the store today, and uh, you reckon so-and-so is going to come by the house? That's where I grew up, and that's the way the word was used. But that's not how Paul is using it. Paul uses it as an accounting type of a term, a legal term, just like I'm going to reconcile my checkbook. I'm going to reconcile the accounting. I'm going to make sure that the facts are right, and I'll know that this is the truth. And so Paul says, therefore, or likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is going to continue on in this argument, saying that we are dead to sin, that sin no longer has that power over us. But yet, if you continue to think that it does, you continue to live as though it does, loved, you're going to be with a hook in your jaw and drawn whatever way that the enemy would have you to be drawn. And you will become, in your witness to Christ, worthless. At best, worthless. And at worst, damaging. Because people will look at you and the choices that you make, the life that you live, and yet the testimony that you bear. Oh, but I'm born again. I'm a believer. And the world looks at a believer who's not walking in obedience and says, I don't want some of that. I don't want some of that at all. Because it's so hypocritical. He claims Christ. But look at the attitudes of his heart. Look at the actions of his life. Are you bearing a strong, positive witness for the things of Christ? Or are you allowing the flesh and the world and the enemy of your soul to dictate to you how you should live? When the word says, no, you are dead indeed to sin. He goes on to say in verse 12, because of that, 
That's what that word therefore means, because of that, because you're dead to sin. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul gives us a very clear don't-do list. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.